if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed it is. An hour number two is now underway at eight minutes past ten. Thanks for being with us on AM 1420. The answer. It's a Wednesday, the first morning of the seventh month of the year of our Lord 2020. All right. Um, we're watching anarchy uh, reign in several American cities. Uh, over the course of the last couple of weeks, it's been a little, maybe a week and a half, it's been a little quieter in our state capital of Columbus. And by the way, how much longer will we be allowed to call it Columbus? That's another question for another discussion. But uh, it's been a little bit quieter after at least two different episodes of serious vandalism and assaults on state property, including the state capitol. And uh, it appears that Columbus police were and Columbus elected officials were not interested in any way, shape, or form in defending that property. And that has led to a call by some to perhaps remove Capitol Square from the Columbus city limits. And one of those persons is Ohio House Speaker Larry Householder, who joins us now to discuss on AM 1420 The Answer. Mr. Speaker, good to have you back on the air here in Cleveland. How are you? It's good to be on, Bob. I'm doing fine. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. Um, Am I correct? I have not read or seen any headlines or new video of... Um, assaults by protesters, rioters, anarchists uh, on the Capitol grounds in the last several days. Uh, have things gotten a little better? Well, it's interesting you would say that, Bob. Um, I came out pretty strongly and uh, and was criticizing the mayor and uh, the decisions that were being made by Columbus Police Department, which I think were made by the mayor. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, uh, I was just being very critical of them and saying I don't think they are protecting the state property. I think they're actually pushing the protesters onto state property uh, and away from City Hall and came out and said that we were going to use Columbus's local government funds to reimburse the state taxpayers for any damages that happened to state buildings in Columbus. And all of a sudden, they started going down to the the rioters went down to City Hall and the city uh, police department, and we have not had any incidences since then at the state house but it was certainly a rough couple of weeks uh prior to that yeah i know it was and i know it is still very rough in certain areas of columbus and a lot of other places too right now because of this as a matter let, let, let me let me go back to your assumption or belief or 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 supposition that um 
the stand down order was actually given by the mayor and not the chief of police. Um, the viral phone call, the 911 call, uh, that made its way across the net. I played it, and a lot of people were outraged over it when a driver reported being stuck and being, of course, very seriously threatened and intimidated by people blocking his car and uh, getting up and uh, jumping up and down on it, etc. And the dispatcher saying, can't do anything. Uh, we've been ordered to stand down. Uh, immediately after that, they held a little press conference saying, no, no, that's not true. There were no stand-down orders. Did the dispatcher get fired for lying, as far as you know? I don't know. Uh, and if not, I don't know. then I think I we, know that the, we know that the dispatcher was not lying and that the, uh, the uh, city was in CYA mode. Well, I had several of the law enforcement officers in the city of Columbus that were in contact with me, and they certainly... Uh, were, they believed that they were in a stand-down order. Uh, they believed it, that it came from the chief, but that ultimately it was a decision that was made by the mayor of the city of Columbus. And uh, what we're going to do, we, uh, Jeff, Representative Jeff LeRae from Fairfield County, uh, we've helped him draft a bill, and he'll be introducing it very soon, uh, that will uh, basically look at making uh, Capitol Square much like the District of Columbia is to Washington, D.C. It, it just takes it away from the city of Columbus. And um, during that during that bill, uh, we are going to have committees, and in the committees we're going to, if we have to, we'll subpoena them in, but we'll get to the bottom of it. We're just going to continue to ask questions of officers or whoever else we get into the committee process and say, okay, who made the decision? Who was it that told you that you couldn't make these arrests? And ultimately, we will get to the bottom of it, and we'll find out who that is. I hope so, and I hope heads roll uh, when when you when you get to the bottom of it. Because again, uh, to me, boy, if I was a leader and uh, some dispatcher went rogue and said something that wasn't true like that, I would fire them immediately. But I'm guessing that dispatcher has not been fired because that dispatcher did not lie. That they are lying in the aftermath of this. So, Mr. Speaker, let's talk about what this would mean if you were to be able to essentially separate Capitol Square from the city of Columbus, as you said, kind of the way D.C. is. Um, who would provide security for the state grounds then? Well, it would be the highway patrol. We could we could actually put a capital police in place, but I would suspect we would use the Ohio Highway Patrol. The state house is post one of the highway patrol. Uh, we have troopers around the state mm-hmm. house generally, um, and then the prosecution uh, would be up to the attorney general, and so it would take it away from the city prosecutor. That's the other thing that. There were some arrests that were made uh, the night that they actually broke into the state house, busted down the, the state house door, and went into the state house. And then we had rioters inside the state house. There were some arrests made that night by the troopers, but my understanding is is that the city prosecutor dropped the charges. And that's just something, uh-huh. Bob. We can't that- have. I mean, it's you know you can't have uh, state taxpayer assets in columbus that are not being protected and you've got to continue have a continuation of state government regardless of the circumstances within any individual city and so we've got to find a way that uh, we can continue to do the people's business the governor is i think uh um noticeably absent in this he said i believe after that that you know defacing uh, the property, state property like that is criminal and that charges might be filed. But did he intervene when the pro- city prosecutors decided they weren't going to charge uh, these riders for the damage they caused? Well, I, 
I've, I've been pretty critical of the governor through this whole thing, and I know he's got his plate full with uh, with the COVID situation, but uh, I I just didn't believe that there was enough being done. Uh, we we could have called out the National Guard. We could have had more troopers at the State House protecting the state's property. Um, I just believe that we could have went further as far as trying to protect the property. And it, it's a terrible message when you allow people to just totally abuse uh, the state house of the state of Ohio. I mean, if there's one iconic figure in the state of Ohio uh, for law and order and government, it is the people's house there in the middle of Columbus, Ohio. And to allow folks to paint on it and break windows, over 20 windows were busted. And as I said, they actually broke down the door and entered entered into the state house itself. Uh, you know, painting slogans on the on the sidewalk in front of the state house. They tore the crap out of uh, the the Ohio Theater. Uh, there was a large window busted at the Rife Center. They rode all over the Supreme Court building, painted all over the Supreme Court building. You can't have that. I mean, it's just it's just uh, not a good view for the people of the state of Ohio or the country. So. Are you following through with what your threat was? Uh, so five or six days ago, I read um, the Capitol Square Advisory Review Board said around $200,000, but it could be more than that as far as how much damage was done. Um, are you going to follow through and take the money that would have gone to the city of Columbus in terms of state disbursements and apply that money to, uh, uh, to uh, take care of these repairs? Yeah, the bill's being introduced by Jeff LeRae. It's been drafted. It's being introduced by Jeff LeRae, we're going to have committees, and through the committee process, we're going to get to the bottom of who the responsible party was for allowing this people's tax dollars, uh, their assets, to be uh, destroyed. And um, we're going to get a number of what the costs were for the repairs and restoration. Uh, and from that point, if it is the city of Columbus, I'm going to pursue the local government funds. Now, I will say this much. The, the number $200,000 was the initial number after the very first vandalism, and I suspect that number is quite a bit higher at this point. Let me ask you this. Rather than waiting for the committee process to find all of this, no disrespect, by the way, Mr. Mr. Householder, but uh, can I be a part of this? If I file or if a group files a FOIA request for all emails correspondence between uh, the mayor's office, the city council members, and the, the police, uh, particularly the chief, uh, so that we could see what uh, coordination was, was happening behind the scenes, can, can we dig into that? Could we find out ourselves? And, uh, you know, again, rather than waiting for just a what can be, quite frankly, a bureaucratic nightmare of waiting for committees to, uh, to vote on things. Uh, actually, it would be public record, and uh, every citizen okay. has the right to request public records. And uh, you could follow that trail. Uh, you and, and your listeners could follow that trail uh, through public record requests. Yeah, I think we'd I think we'd get things done a little faster than maybe the legislative process would in terms of investigating what you just described. And the last question for you, uh, Mr. Speaker, and I appreciate your time this morning. Uh, first of all, by the way, good luck in the move to uh, get Cap uh, Square essentially uh, uh, separated from the city. I, I think it's a good idea. But once that happens, and you know, like you said, the state patrol troopers are already you know kind of defending the grounds. But let's say you have them defending the grounds. Let's say you establish a capital police force. What are they going to be allowed to do? 
And I ask that respectfully, of course, knowing that police officers everywhere are very hesitant to engage with rioters, uh, even even potentially vandalizing and or violent protesters, because then they're going to have to get physical in restraining them. And when they get physical in restraining somebody, they run the risk of being accused of police brutality. So what what orders would the troopers and any Capitol Police be under from the state government in terms of protecting the grounds? Well, I, it would be certainly different than maybe the mayor. The mayor, obviously, the mayor yeah. is trying to, uh, you know, cattle to the uh, to the, the sort of the socialist regime of Columbus down there. Um, and the problem with that is these folks are anti-government, and so for uh, someone who's a government official to think that he's going to win over folks that are anti-government is pretty bizarre, uh, in my belief. But uh, the fact is that, uh, you know, you would have different governors, you'd have different legislatures uh, through the years. Some of them may not be as strong as on law and order as others. But I can tell you that um, when we had a force of troopers there at the state house for sort of round two of this, uh, the, the, the violence uh, did subside as far as the state house was concerned. Uh, we didn't have all that vandalism at the state house when they were there uh, on round two, uh, just for the fact that there was a presence of state troopers there. Uh, that was what was really important. That presence meant an awful lot. Yeah, uh, and and I, I understand that, and certainly, you know, protecting the state grounds will be of paramount importance, uh, it, no matter how this thing plays out. Let me just ask you, and I know I said last question, but just dovetail off of that, policing in general, you see what's going on. They defunded the New York City Police Department by $1.5 billion yesterday. That's going to be about 1,200 fewer officers on the streets to make uh, the streets of New York safe, even as violent crime there is spiking compared to where it was a year ago. They're doing the same thing in Los Angeles. They did in Minneapolis, uh, and of course, the calls are going to come from uh, you know all over the big cities in Ohio too. Uh, as it pertains to protecting the public by way of a strong police force, where are you, and where you know you? I guess you can't speak for the entire General Assembly, but where are you on matters of police force strength and calls for defunding by activist groups? Well, I certainly don't support. Uh any kind of, of, of brutal attacks by, by the police. I, I, what happened in Minneapolis or what appears to have happened in Minneapolis certainly is appalling and it's wrong and it's against the law. Of course. Uh, however, you have to have law and order in a society. There's no point in having laws. Uh, you, you, anarchy does not work. And I think it's interesting when you look at the movement right now that's out there in the United States and even here in Ohio, First of all, they want to take away the citizens' rights to protect themselves. And then secondly, they want to defund and do away with the police department. Um, that certainly doesn't bode well for people who are trying to live in an orderly fashion and you know make their way through their life and acquire things and try to better themselves. Uh, it just It's reckless abandon. And um, I, I'm certainly going to stand up uh, for law and order at every turn. I believe in law and order, and I believe in, a, in, a, in an orderly society. Well, I'm glad to hear that, and I certainly hope the state of Ohio does not um, 
make uh, uh, budgetary decisions in terms of, you know, particularly police funding uh, or monies being given to cities to disperse to, uh, you know, their police forces. I hope they don't make this upon the advice of activist groups that do not have the best interest of the people in mind. And that is exactly what I think is happening in some of those other locations. Uh, Speaker Householder, uh, thank you so much for what you're doing. I appreciate it. Uh, I wish you the best of luck with the Cap Square uh, movement on this. And thank you so much for your time today. Bob, if I could raise one quick issue, sure. I'd like your listeners to pay attention to Senate Bill 55, which passed the House and the Senate. The Senate finally passed it yesterday. It's going to the governor's desk. We have to try to push the governor not to veto that. It decriminalizes the violations for the executive or the health orders. And right now, uh, it can be up to 90 days in jail for violating a mere order, not a law. We have Independence Day coming up on Saturday, and I think it's ironic that here in the state of Ohio, the very thing that our patriots fought for us to have here in this country is is under attack right now here in Columbus, Ohio. I wish you had uh, hit me with that earlier. I've got follow-up questions on that, <laughs> but I will well, agree we with talk you. talk again. Yeah, we'll do that, and I do agree with you, and I will encourage everybody, if they can, to reach the governor's office and tell him to sign that, now that it's passed both houses, and not to veto that, because you're 100% correct in your analysis that it really is reflected in what we are supposed to be celebrating this weekend. So let's make a point of talk, and maybe as early as next week, about that before the governor makes a decision. Uh, Speaker House, Okay, Bob, it sounds great. I appreciate it. Thank you. We'll do that. That's uh, Ohio Speaker of the House, Larry Householder, and uh, we'll be back after this. Okay, 1028, we continue now on AM 1420. The answer, uh, thanks to my guests thus far, Speaker of the House, uh, Larry Householder, as well as Gary Wolski and Jay McDonald from the Ohio Fraternal Order of Police. We are guest-free the rest of the way, so the last half hour is going to be all yours at 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. I would ask you this, um, before we get to your calls, um, think about this during the news. Do you agree with my opening monologue? Do you believe that this very well could be the last year we actually celebrate Independence Day, the day of our independence from the uh, oppressive British crown? July 4th, 1776, we have celebrated as Independence Day as a national holiday. Do you believe that this could very well be the last one we celebrate? Because based on the, as I said in my monologue, based on the current political climate, liberal Democrats hate this country for what it is. And they are allowing groups that hate this country to dictate policy, to dictate whether or not we can honor the person who wrote the, the, the uh, Star-Spangled Banner, which became our national anthem, to honor that anthem itself, to honor the flag that represents all of it. Liberal Democrats are taking their marching orders from anarchist, anarchistic groups that are essentially saying that our founding fathers are not to be revered, that the nation that they built for us, that the Constitution they wrote for us is all wrong and all flawed because they were racists as slaveholders. They are literally in the process of deconstructing everything that has been constructed because of the political winds. And so when I say this might be our last chance to literally celebrate Independence Day, I mean it. If Joe Biden becomes president, 
and he is, you know, uh, you know, pup, pup, puppeteered, if you will, by George Soros and the rest of the um, far left. And we have Chuck Schumer calling the shots in the Senate. We have Nancy Pelosi still in charge in the House. And all of them are listening to Revcom USA. They're listening to Antifa. They're listening to Black Lives Matter, the organization. And all of those groups hate what the United States is. They believe it to be a patriarchy rooted in white supremacy that, that oppresses everybody who's not like those founders. If Joe Biden wins, and if we allow the Democrats to win the Senate, and I think those two would go hand in hand, and Nancy keeps control of the House, I think the United States of America's flag, our anthem, and our celebration of our independence on fourth of the 4th of July next year will all be in serious jeopardy as will everything that those things stand for. You tell me if I'm going too far, if you tell me, or you tell me if this is, this is reality, that Saturday might be the last chance we have to celebrate the independence of this country. We'll talk after the news, AM 1420, The Answer. Ten thirty six. Onward. On AM 1420, The Answer, thanks for uh, staying with us through the program today. We've got 24 minutes of Outstanding Awesome left for you. Uh, real quick before I go to the phones, just a follow-up story on the huge story, uh, really, that has touched people across the nation in different ways. Uh, the McCloskeys uh, are the family in St. Louis that are being called racists, that are being investigated by a rogue racist um, uh, prosecutor in St. Louis for pulling out their guns and standing in front of their property and telling the violent mob that broke through an iron gate to get into their private property neighborhood uh, to keep going and to not come up and assault or vandalize their property. The McCloskeys, of course, uh, are, are Americans who just simply did their jobs. They protected themselves and their property against a violent mob. They have seen enough from what these violent mobs have done in other places. They were not going to let it happen to their property. So once they saw uh, that the some in the some in the uh, uh, anarchists, I won't call them protesters, some of the anarchists uh, crowd were armed. They went in and got their weapons, and now they are the ones being accused of. Um, essentially being racists and threatening a crowd of quote-unquote peaceful protesters. I want to give you two examples of how this is covered. Here's the CNN example. As Chris Cuomo, talking to Mark McCloskey, challenges the homeowner's point of view here. The idea that uh, they broke the law, I give it to you. They went through a private gate. I'm sure you have video of it or somebody can prove that. I stipulate they went through the gate. Um, but they're yelling, they're angry. They did not go up your steps. They didn't go to your house. They didn't touch you. They didn't try to enter your home. They didn't try to do anything uh, to your kids. But you say you were assaulted. You're using the civil definition of that, uh, which is that you had the apprehension that something bad was going to happen to you. But nothing did. But the call of terrorism, when the people are there protesting how the community is treated by the police, is a little bit of reverse psychology at a minimum, is it not? So that's how Chris Cuomo handled it. Protesters never touched you or entered your home. Mr. Cuomo, you steaming pile of liberalism, the reason they never touched him or his wife or their home is because they exercised their Second Amendment rights to stand their arms saying, don't try it. 
That's the reason they didn't enter their home is because they defended it. And yes, threatened threats to individuals is considered a civil assault. And that's exactly what happened. And no, they were not peaceful protesters about police brutality. They broke through an iron gate. That indicates a willingness to commit vandalism and other violent acts. That's Cuomo. The same individual, Mark McCluskey, who, by the way, along with his wife, they're both attorneys, who fight regularly for people of color. That's right. They're civil rights attorneys among other parts of law that they practice. They went on Tucker Carlson as well as on Chris Cuomo. It went a little bit differently there. I saw it all going up in flames and my life destroyed in an instant. And I did what I thought I had to do to protect my hearth, my home, and my family. Well, no one was protecting you, and they were screaming at you and threatening you and threatening to murder your dog and harm you and your wife. What do you make of the attacks on you for doing what we used to believe every homeowner had an obligation to do. Why are they denouncing you, know, you as a racist? I don't understand. And you know, here's the, here's the interesting thing. I've spent my career defending people that are defenseless, for people that are having a hard time making their miracle happen, for people that don't have a voice. My black clients love us. The night that this happened, I had some of our black clients calling us up till 2.30 in the morning, telling us how wrong it was, the way the press was writing us up, telling how wrong it was, that, that we should be portrayed as racist. This is what I do for a living. I, I help people that are down and that need a hand and the people that need a voice. To call us racist is ridiculous. It's worse than that, and it's worse to call them a racist. Um, it, it's worse to prosecute them, and that is exactly what a rogue African-American racist prosecutor in St. Louis is doing. Um, she is literally investigating these individuals for standing on their property as a violent mob comes into their neighborhood, throngs of them, uh, breaking through an iron gate. They didn't wait peacefully for somebody to open it. They broke it down, and then they came in looking to do Lord only knows what. They stood there protecting their property, and now they are the ones being prosecuted, or at least investigated and potentially prosecuted. So there's your update. Let's go to um, Willoughby. And this is George Ann on AM 1420, The Answer. George Ann, thanks for your patience. Go right ahead. Hi, Bob. Um, I'm just concerned. I've been trying to get a hold of Governor DeWine's office for about a week now, and also Lieutenant Governor Husted. They give you a number uh, to call. If you're calling in regard to uh, the COVID hotline, call this number. And the number you call, it does not give you a direct uh, line to the governor's office because I just want to give my opinion. I want to talk to a representative of their office, and I'm so disappointed with what's going on with our our government in Ohio um, with Governor DeWine. And it, it seems like you get a runaround, and uh, I just need a you good do. number to you call. You do. He doesn't want to hear from you. He no, doesn't want to hear from no. you. He doesn't want to hear from me. He doesn't want to hear from anybody who disagrees with him or mm-hmm. challenges and, his authority or that of his health director. And what is the the bill number that uh, Householder was talking about? Because I'd like to refer to that if I ever get through. Senate, Senate Bill 55. Yeah, it's called 55. Senate Bill 55. Okay. And he's, okay. he pointed out that it passed both houses now, and it will go to Good. Mike DeWine for either signing or vetoing. And uh, mm-hmm. and yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, that's the frustrating part, um, George Ann, because 
when he said, you know, let's let's get a hold of Mike DeWine and tell our, mm-hmm. all of our listeners to tell him not to veto that bill, blah, blah, blah. Right. I'd love to, but people have people have suggested uh, that we call the governor's office over that stand-down order, uh, right, you know, from right. the mayor. Uh, in, you know, and we can't get through to anybody of substance no, because they don't like, want to hear from the public. It, They're not representing it, exactly, us. Exactly, exactly. And I'm so fearful that Governor DeWine, you know, I think he's leading up to a law making it mandatory to wear face masks. And I will not wear a face mask outside. Uh, I don't wear one in the stores either. Um, I, it's just, it, it seems like it infringes on our rights, and I, I resent it does. that. I'm, I'm, I'm a, a senior citizen, and, you know, these things apply to me, but I'm not concerned about getting the virus. Um, I'm healthy. Uh, I want to do what I want to do uh, as far as whether or not to wear a face mask, and I choose not to. Well, so. what you are, what you are, is you're not a sheep. You you are an independent no, thinker, and you can exactly. make your own decisions about your health. And exactly. They, and they don't I'm like one that. of the few people. And, I, I'm one of the few people that doesn't wear one at mass. Uh, you know, uh, I'm like a handful of people that don't wear a mask at right. church. So uh, right. I, I don't right. know. It just bothers me. Well, no, Georgianne, it bothers a lot of, and thank you for the call. And I'm glad you gave voice to it, and I'm glad you uh, expressed your, your your frustration with what's going on with DeWine, because I know I want other people to call as well, and they just cannot get through. But yeah, I agree with Georgianne uh, when she said that she sees, you know, what's coming here is that uh, Mike DeWine is going to join the crowd. There are some, I don't know, I saw it earlier this morning, maybe, maybe pushing up on half the states. I don't know if I still have the story in front of me or not uh, in my paperwork here, um, but I but I there was a number I just I, or excuse me I didn't see the number I just saw a big list and I'm guessing it was around 20 strong maybe a little bit more but around half the states uh, are issuing mask orders for public um, places public spaces. And you know doggone well, Ohio's name is not on that yet, but you know doggone well that Mike DeWine is uh, is going to join that crowd. And that's going to be a big problem because it absolutely is indefensible. It is not something that is constitutional. Uh, Judge Andrew Napolitano spoke about this um, on uh, Fox News. He's a Fox News contributor, and he pointed out that the government does not have the authority to order anyone to wear a mask. Now, public pressure... Peer pressure, and I'm quoting Napolitano here, people pointing at you, yelling at you, telling you to go take a hike or put your mask on, the force of public opinion might force people to wear masks, but the government cannot mandate that. So it's up to you to stand strong and be willing to challenge it in court. But um, Napolitano said, absolutely not. First of all, the mayor's and gubernatorial edicts are just suggestions. They are not law. They have not been acted by, in the case of New York City, for example, the city council, or in the case of New York State, the state legislature, uh, that people have to wear these. The government cannot do that. And that's very important to know. Uh, Andy Biggs. Representative Andy Biggs said the same thing, said there's uh, an important uh, thing for people to understand here is that the government cannot require masks. They can suggest it, and they can tell businesses that if they want to engage in commerce, they have to mask their employees, make that a rule, which, of course, Ohio does have. But for people to just have to wear them if they're in public spaces, uh, they don't have the authority to do that. So that's important. Uh, and I'm with you, George Ann. I'm not wearing any fear mask. Not now and not ever. Well, no, I shouldn't say not ever. You know when I will wear one? If I'm sick, 
If I'm sniffling, if I'm sneezing, if I'm coughing, if I have an elevated temperature, actually, chances are, if I have any of those things, I won't go anywhere. I'll self-quarantine, as it were. Same way I do if I've got a flu. I'm going to stay home in bed until I feel better. But if I am symptomatic of any of those things and I am in a public place, I'll absolutely try to keep my germs in by putting on one of those, one of those masks because that's responsible. But asking healthy people to limit their freedoms, uh, to limit the intake of oxygen, to potentially put their own health in danger, to ask healthy people to do that or to mandate to, for them to do that is simply uh, wrong. It's not happening. Let's go to Cheryl, who's calling us from Bratnall. Uh, Cheryl, thanks for joining us on AM 1420. The answer. Go ahead. Hi. Yeah, let me just thank you first for what you do every single day. You are literally the the one person that I will not miss listening to each day because you're the voice oh, of reasoning you. and what is it, increasingly insane environment. Um, anyone who does not understand that we are literally at the precipice of losing our democracy, I encourage them to read the 45 goals of the Communist Party. These goals were formulated uh, in a book in 1959-58, and they were read into the congressional record in 1963. And over the decades, they have accomplished almost everything on their list, including gaining control of our schools, infiltrating the press, gaining control of radio and TV, eliminating laws governing obscenity, eliminating prayer in the schools, discrediting the founding fathers. And now, right now, we are living through the one thing that I thought it would take them forever to accomplish, and that's transferring the power of arrest from police to social service agents. And that's what they've managed to do. And that's what they are doing. Minneapolis um, just uh, passed um, their, 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 their uh, city council just passed an ordinance saying that they're changing um, the police, they're <laughs> eliminating the police department. And now it's going to be a holistic approach to uh, to policing. What on earth does that mean? And for blacks who are going along with this nonsense, what do you think is going to happen to your children when there are no police to guard your neighborhood, when there are no police? It, all of these shootings that are happening on a daily basis in New York and Chicago, in CHOP, the two young black teens killed in CHOP, by who? By white and the security forces. Why is there no outcry from Black Lives Matter about that? Why is there no outcry from any black leader about the fact that we are, we are in danger of losing the only source of protection that many inner city neighborhoods have, and that is the police? Well, the... the- the answer uh, to the question is is within the question, uh, because Black Lives Matter do not matter to Black Lives Matter. The lives of black people don't matter to the organization Black Lives Matter. Only power matters to Black Lives Matter, the organization. And they can't get power by, by you know, protesting and complaining about black-on-black crime. They can only get power by protesting and rioting and looting and chanting and, and uh, uh, demanding when white people kill African Americans, or more particularly, police officers kill African Americans. And, and thank oh, you for the I call, Cheryl. Yeah, you, yeah, I know you do, but I'm just, I want everybody else to, to know the answer to the question, and thank you. The, the important thing that you need, that people need to realize, a great example of that is the case of, uh, Nakia Crawford. The murder victim, the 18 year old murder victim down in Akron. Nakia Crawford was shot dead, 
And when high-priced Black Lives Matter lawyer Benjamin Crump thought that it was a white male who shot her, he was all over the case. I'm with you. I'm representing the Crawford family. Wrote a letter to Bill Barr, the attorney general, and said, you better get down here and investigate this as a hate crime. A white man has killed an 18-year-old black girl. I'm all over this, Benjamin Crump, Black Lives Matter attorney, said. Then they released the names of the suspects in the shooting. Not a white male, but three African-American people. Two males and a female. You could have seen the smoke trail left behind Benjamin Crump as he sped away from Akron. Nothing to do with this case anymore. Didn't show up for the press conference that he had arranged. Left the family. You're on your own now. I'm only involved if this was a white-on-black crime so I can gain more power for Black Lives Matter. If this was three black people killing one 18-year-old black girl, see ya. Like I said, you could, it's like cartoons. You could see the smoke trail behind him as he sped out of town. Didn't care a lick. Why? Because the lives of black people do not matter to Black Lives Matter. The lives of black people matter to me. They matter to you. They matter to people who are decent. Black Lives Matter do not matter to Black lives matter. Black lives are irrelevant. It's power and control that they see, and nothing more. Final segment coming up, AM 1420, The Answer. Okay, 10.56, i got time for a couple more here before we're done. Patrick in Lakewood. Let's bring you up on AM 1420, The Answer. Go ahead, Patrick. Mr. Friend. Patrick. Yes, sir. Go ahead. Yeah. I had the uh, pleasure of shaking your hand a couple of years back, and I'm sure I could jog your memory. I don't want to take up too much of your time. But uh, we were at uh, on Rockside Road at a, at a Trump rally, and I happened to be the only black person other than Sheriff Clark that was in the, in the auditorium. And I shook your hand right outside. Do you remember? Well, I got to tell you, I do shake a lot of hands at those events. Uh, and I hope you don't take it personally if I don't remember specifically. You're right, though. In the, you know, there aren't a, a, a ton of African Americans at, at these events. I wish there were more. I wish more would, people would turn away from the lies of the Democrat Party as far as what they mean to the black community. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, I do remember the event with Sheriff Clark and I do remember meeting a lot of people. And I'm very glad that it meant something to you that you remember that. Thank you so much for that, Patrick. It was a very special day. But I just want to know if you uh, remember, uh, well, if you had a chance to hear the uh, take that you had on this incident with the uh, the couple that were protect, protecting their home. I'm, I'm sorry, could you say that again? I, you cut out on me just a hair. The View. I know you, this isn't something you really watch. The TV show The View, right. What, yeah, right. They, they, they had a take on uh, the couple that were was defending their home from the uh-huh. protesters. They right, right. said that why didn't they just go out back and talk to them and see what their problem was instead of pulling their guns? <laughs> and then if they and you then if they felt 
And then if they felt threatened, they should have just stayed in the house and called the police. Which aren't coming. That's the point. That's why they said they knew they were there all alone. The police were. The police didn't come when they broke down the gate. The police. Started, Thank you for the call, Patrick. I got to run. But that is exactly correct. The police would not have come. And how many other times have we seen people roll down their windows to talk to these violent protesters when they're trying to drive by and they don't get to talk? You don't get to talk, especially if you're white. You get beaten up. You get your car vandalized, your windows broken, you get people jumping up and down. And how many store owners wanted to just talk before their stores were smashed, looted, and set on fire? No, you don't talk to violent mobs. You get assaulted by violent mobs. They defended themselves as they should. The view, well, you know where they can go. Thanks for being a part of the show today. I appreciate it. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye.